Welcome to And the Foul. I'm Barco here with JL, and we're excited to bring you our third ever episode. Today, we're going to talk about which NBA stars are actually able to and which would need help in order to bring a team to the finals and win a championship. We're also going to bring in baseball for the first time and talk about which players that are underpaid should play in the home run derby because it has a million dollar prize and which teams we think are currently non-playoff teams that could definitely make the playoffs. And finally, we're going to have a rant of the day from me featuring the Barco Madness segment. Based on what Barco said about who's ready to lead a team and who's not quite there, we decided to break NBA stars into three tiers. Tier one, guys who can undeniably be the best player on a championship team. Tier two, guys who have the potential to be in tier one. And tier three are guys just below who need at least one other guy also in tier three to win a championship. We each made different rankings, so we'll go one by one uh, going and comparing each of our rankings in each tier. You want to you go with your tier one first? Yeah, sure. So I think this exercise is really interesting because everyone always says as a fan that unless you have one of the guys that's good enough to lead a team, then you're really wasting your time as a franchise. So being able to break these guys down, I think, is really interesting for fans to be able to observe, I guess, how we view these players. So my tier one is LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and James Harden. What about you? So I have the same four in LeBron, Kawhi, Durant, and Curry, and I left Harden off. And here's why I left Harden off. I have Harden as my first guy in tier two for sure. Um, But as far as tier one goes, the word undeniable or undeniably is the one that I harp on a little bit here. The other four guys have proven they can do it. In the last eight finals, going in order from LeBron, LeBron's Heat versus Durant's Thunder. After that, it was Kawhi versus LeBron. Kawhi versus LeBron again. Then it went to Curry versus LeBron. Curry versus LeBron again. KD and Curry versus LeBron. KD and Curry versus LeBron again. And then finally, Kawhi versus Curry. I didn't hear Harden. I heard all four of those guys, and I heard all of them multiple times. I mean, yes, you definitely make a fair point. The word undeniable usually implies that if something hasn't happened before, it can be denied. But there's also like statistical uh, occurrences that are so unlikely that you need to consider that a near lock to have happened already. And that's where I look to with James Harden. That team that played the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, they went into a game six and Chris Paul gets hurt. They were winning in that series until Chris Paul gets hurt. And Chris Paul two years ago is not the same guy he was last year. He was way more important to that team winning games. If Chris Paul plays in either of those two games, I like the Rocket chances to make the finals. And in that year against a depleted Cavs team, they're likely winning the championship. Now, let's think about an even greater extreme, where in game seven, James Harden's Rockets missed 27 straight three-pointers. That is so be outside the realm of like potential outcomes that it's never happened before. And it's a record for most consecutive missed three pointers. And yes, people can try to make an argument that Harden choked or the Rockets choked, but the odds of a team missing 27 threes is so ridiculous that if they were to just made four out of 27 or five out of 27, which is still way below their expected averages, Harden makes the finals and is the player on a team that likely beats the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
So for me, I think he undeniable to do it. And my differentiation between tier one and tier two is in tier two, those guys have to prove to me to have the ability to get there. I think Harden's already showed it. The, the results have not followed, but I believe he's already been able to accomplish. My only issue with putting Harden on the same tier as these guys is, is really the track record. Yes, Harden, they had the 0 for 27, but Harden contributed. He was 2 for 13 from 3. And so, I, so at best in Harden's career right now, he's been to one final. And maybe one. Probably he probably won. won. Probably would have won that year. But all four of these guys have been to three finals at least. And all of them also have multiple finals MVPs with the exception of Curry, who, you know, could have won over Iguodala. But that's fine. I just haven't seen Harden do it. If at best he's in one final to this point in his career, uh, there's no way he could be in the same level as the other four of these guys. But don't give me the best player on the team argument. Like, why has been in one finals with you the best player on his team? I don't care if you win finals MVP. Uh, as you just said, they could all win a finals MVP. That's just an arbitrary threshold to tell me who is the best player on a team where he was probably not the best player on his team. Um, I think that James Harden would have been undeniably the best player on a team one time, just like Kawhi Leonard. And by putting him in this tier, I'm not saying he's as good as the other four players. I actually think there's a huge drop-off between those four guys and James Harden. But I think that putting him in the other tier would be a disservice to what I think he's been able to prove. And I think from, from the sample size I've seen and his ability to be the best player on a team and on his own be the most efficient offense in the NBA – I think he's got to be in tier one. He showed me everything I need to see that if the ball bounces differently, he wins. And I can't say that about anybody else. I that think he has. If the ball bounces differently with Kawhi Leonard against the Sixers, maybe the Sixers win that series. And that's a much easier series for the Bucks, who already have 2-0 on Toronto. And now Giannis is in this category because he's won by being the best player on the series, uh, the best player on the team in the championship. Yeah, Giannis is really a bounce away. They got a tough draw with the Raptors. They should have had Philly. And, you know, maybe I Philly would have won. Philly's a better team. matchup for them. Okay, so maybe Philly wins the series. And Embiid's the best player on the championship team. And I still don't put him in tier one because, again, Embiid and Bucks and guys like that are so ambiguous. We don't know who the best player on that team was. And maybe Embiid goes for 40 a game in the finals, which I don't see happening. But even if he did then it's a different discussion. But assuming no extreme outlier happened, I think we could sit argue about who the best player on that Philly team was last year. So I don't think that argument stands. And maybe your point with Giannis has some validity to it. I agree. If Giannis somehow would have gotten Philly instead and beaten Philly and then beaten Golden State, I'd probably have him in tier one. Right. Between Giannis, between Giannis and Kawhi is that – sorry, I guess Giannis and Harden here is that – Harden was in position to win. And then a statistical anomaly is the reason why he lost. Giannis was up 2-0 and lost four games in a row. The difference between the two of them is Giannis never sat there to myself, wow, this guy should have been in the finals. I sat there after game seven. I remember watching it and saying to myself, wow, James Harden's hard done by. He was the best player on his team undeniably. And, and for that reason, I have him in tier one. Okay. I mean, I – I guess we could. I guess we should move on here. I let us know what you think. I don't think Harden's a tier one player. I think he's slightly below these guys until he proves it. Barco disagrees. Thinks Harden. I agree. One. I agree with you. He's below these guys, but he's above what the criteria is for tier two. And I feel like we're doing a disservice to him as a player by not including him here. Okay. 
That's fair. Um, so in tier two, I go to obviously Harden, and then Giannis, Anthony Davis, Jokic, Luka Doncic, and Paul George. I have pretty similar tier two, and I'm pretty surprised that we both have Luka Doncic. I thought I would have been a would have been a surprise pick for me, but I have Giannis, Davis, Jokic, Luka Doncic, and Zion, and yeah. Oh, I probably shouldn't be including Zion, but the whole point I'm making here is if the point is potential to be in tier one, I don't think it's deniable that he can get to that point. But I definitely want to talk about Paul George with you. I'm surprised you have him here. Well, before we get into why Zion and why Paul George, I think we should both just touch on Luca quickly because I would think plenty of people disagree with that. Um, for a guy that has the ability to, at his peak, average a 30-point triple-double, and he's certainly on his way. He had the Mavs to more wins last year than probably most people thought. I, I mean, I think it's clear that he has the potential to be the best player on a championship team. I think, I think that's fair. And just to elaborate on that point a little bit more, he's so young right now. I think he's, what, 20 years old, 21 years old? Yeah, yeah. And th- this is really a potential tier. And all the guys we have in this tier, I think, are under the age of 27. So the question is, with development and growth, can Doncic get to that point? And you saw guys like Giannis take major leaps each of the last two years. And I'm not saying that he had the same body type, but he might have a similar trajectory to a guy like Giannis. And as he gets more comfortable in the league, I think to that point. So I think that's why we both have him there. Yeah. Um, as far as I go with Paul George, I think he was, third in, he was third in MVP voting this year. He's pushed LeBron to the brink in the past with Indiana. Uh, I just think he's a great scorer. He's getting better. Um, he's going to be healthier next year with both shoulders back and ready to go. And I don't think they were too far off this year. I would really like to see him play again without Westbrook, just for Paul George to demand the ball more, I think would be interesting. But I think he has all the tools. I don't like Paul George, I think, as much as you. I think that he's a very good player. But really, like, how are you differentiating for me Paul George and Jimmy Butler? Like, great. Paul George could shoot the three a little bit better, but I don't think that there's a significant difference between those two players. I mean, I think Paul George is also bigger, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. But a little more size, a little more, a little more in the paint from Paul George. He can, he can rebound from his team. I don't think Jimmy Butler is ever going to uh, come close to 10 rebounds a game. I think Paul George has been – been around seven or eight in the past and can get I would really like I, honestly I want to see Paul George play by himself again I don't think Westbrook I mean it, it's not I don't really have to argue it's been proven that Westbrook isn't the best of teammates um, and Paul George doesn't really have the ball in his hands as much as he did with Indiana and he was still young with Indiana um, so I'm just hoping he gets some prime years by himself again and then I'd like to see what he does. So the first thing for me is I don't think that he'll ever get the opportunity to play on his own during his prime. He probably only has two or three years left of his prime just based on the fact that he has a long injury history. And he's also getting pretty old. He's been in the league for quite a while. I, people may not remember all of his pacer days against playing against LeBron trying to get out of the East. But it was pretty reminiscent of those Raptors teams that for years and years just got stuck by LeBron. But I think that we should dissect those teams a little bit more. And although maybe Paul George is a bit better than he was then, he had the perfect supporting cast around him. He had 
two all-stars around him and and like four or five really good NBA players. And I don't know what kind of situation you could expect that's better than that to be surrounded as the best player on a team. I would say his supporting cast with the Pacers was way better than it was for James Harden and like even better than it is for Kawhi in Toronto. So when I look at it that way, we can both agree he's not a tier one guy, but as an older player in the league, and I would say he can't really get that much better. So putting him in a spot in tier two that says he has the potential to get to tier one, I think is almost counterintuitive. I think he either has to be there right now and have the ability to lead a team, or he just doesn't, because I don't know how much room for growth he really does have. True. But there is one thing Paul George with those decent, pretty good Indiana teams had to get through that Kawhi didn't, and that's LeBron. Um, But moving from that, as we talk about LeBron – we both agree on a tier three guy who's played with LeBron in the past and might join up with him again in the future, although it's starting to look rarer and rarer. And that's Kyrie. And then the rest of my tier three is filled out with Embiid, uh, Lillard, Zion, Clay Thompson, and Victor Oladipo. Oladipo. It's going to be a wow. spot, Marco. Check his Instagram. Look at those workout videos. I don't care how many workout videos you post. You're still Victor Oladipo. Let me find uh, I guess my tier three is Paul George for me, as we just talked about. I also have Kyrie, Embiid, Lillard, Clay, and I got Jimmy Butler, which I'm surprised you didn't include on your list. So you really, that, you're saying that you think Jimmy Butler is not as good as Victor Oladipo? Yes. That is what I'm saying. Can you explain that for me? I'm big on teammates. I don't think Jimmy Butler is a good teammate. Uh, I think that's been true with the Bulls, with the Sixers. There's some nice videos of him, but for whatever reason, they didn't mesh. Oladipo is an improving player. And he averaged close to 19 a game last year before his injury. Had the Pacers up near the three seed in the East. And he's a freak, athletically. Uh, Drafted second out of Indiana finally filling into his potential last year, and he's getting stronger. Uh, His rehab's going extremely well, and he has the potential to have a great season next year. It'll take time to see if Indiana does anything this offseason to add to him. I would love to see him play with a D'Angelo Russell or maybe someone else they've been rumored to, maybe a big. They threw that opportunity uh, down the drain when they (laughs) decided to take on the T.J. Warren contract, but. Right. Pacers management isn't up for discussion here, but yes. Old Debo's his three-point shooting has improved from early in his career when he was just an athletic player. I think he's building. He's there now. We're not going to have the chance to see it because he doesn't get to play with any of these guys, but I think if he had the chance, the Pacers would be even better than they were last year before he got hurt. I get what you're saying about Old Debo. I, I don't quite think he's there yet. I look at him more in the tier with Carl Anthony Towns, Bradley Beal, Kemba Walker, whether they could be a third guy championship team and be a great help, or they could be like the best player on a bad team. And they're kind of in that way. I think Oladipo is a special case because he happens to have a great supporting cast around him. And that's why they're able to be a pretty good basketball team. But I think if I put Jimmy Butler in that role, Indiana is just as good. And I know he's not a great teammate, but, I think he's a much better basketball player. I think Jimmy Butler's ceiling is way higher. He's only—he's also, I think, going to get better without playing 
38 minutes a night for Tom Thibodeau. He looked pretty good in Philly during the playoffs. And when you look at guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris that were around him, they all gave way to him in the playoff. They said, we're not ready for the moment. And Jimmy Butler said, that's mine, essentially. And he showed up and he played de facto point guard for that entire series against the Raptors and was the only reason they were in games. And it looked at a lot of times like a Kawhi versus Jimmy Butler series. And the fact that it went seven, I think it's a testament to how good he could really be as a second or third guy. And I think that's why he's in tier three. Like I think a team of Butler and Clay or Butler and Lillard could really win a lot of games. But if you told me you had Lillard and Oladipo, I don't know if I'd feel the same way. How much, how much better is that than Lillard and McCollum? I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting the same luxury of superstar between Butler and Oladipo. I think Jimmy Butler's Bulls team that he had all the problems with, I don't think their supporting cast was hugely different from this Indiana team. Oh, my God, Justin. The, the difference is shooting. Who has shooting? The they didn't Pacers. have shooters. They didn't have any shooting. They played Rondo and Dwayne Wade. Yeah, but this Bulls team had Doug McDermott and Nicole Doug Miritich. McDermott. This was his second season. He was playing at this time. No, he was playing, but he wasn't the best player on the team yet. Oh, a shooter. He was a great shooter, and so was Miritich. Okay, they're like complementary pieces that play 20 minutes a night. Right. There's that's, a huge. That's, that's all Oladipo had with Indiana. Also, he was the best player by far on that team. Bogdanovich plays 35 minutes a night, and Miles Turner could shoot the three at the center position. Do you know how little space there is when you play Rondo, Wade, and Jimmy Butler together, along with who? Who else played? Joakim Noah. No, this was in the time when the Knicks uh, signed Joakim Noah to that amazing contract. Oh, uh, the fun Knicks fact, already had Noah at that time. Fun fact. Uh, until the R.J. Barrett deal is official, Joakim Noah is the highest-paid Knicks player as of right now. Oh, that's a great stat. Great stat right there. <laughs> well, Also, also uh, talk about a player that shouldn't be getting paid. Larry Sanders is still on the books for five years in Portland. Yeah, he's doing great. Uh, he's been great in the big three so far this year. Not that that helps Portland. So I hope you all enjoyed our cheers for NBA players. Let us know what you think. The big controversy seems to be around, is Harden really the best player on a championship team? Uh, what do you all think of Luka Doncic? Is he, does he have the ability to get in that top tier? And then is Oladipo and Butler, we had a nice little interesting discussion about that. Who's the better player there? Are they both even in that tier of guys that could pair with one of the person in that range to be a championship contender yeah a little off topic at the end also let us know if any quote-unquote tier four guys should be moving up on the list and we missed anybody the next segment we decided to take on was looking at the home run derby which is coming up as a, in a couple of weeks as the all-star starters voting just finished um the home run derby has a one million dollar prize which got us thinking about who who wants to play in this derby because of the money. The way early contracts work in baseball is you sign your rookie deal for four or five years, and that's basically nothing. You're making around half a million to three quarters of a million dollars per year. And some of these guys are great. Some of these players are really good players making minimal decimal percentage points of what guys like Bryce Harper and his $330 million contract are making. So we decided we're going to come up with a dream bracket. There's eight guys in the, in the uh, home run derby and there's like, a, they have a matchup style bracket now. 
So we found all these guys on 35 plus home run paces who get paid nothing. So without further ado, we'll talk to you about some of the most underpaid sluggers in baseball. Cody Bellinger's got 26 homers this year. He makes $605,000. And hopefully we see him in the derby in the derby because he's been in it before. And his dad throws to him during the home run derby. It's pretty nostalgic. He's also hitting 350 this year. So definitely deserving. Next player, Hunter Renfro, has 24 homers, making $582,000. Although it includes six homers in seven games at Coors Field, which could be slightly inflated. Renfro, though, worth, worth noting, is on pace for a 50 homer season, and under 10 Padres have done that in the history of baseball. Next up, we got Yankee Gary Sanchez. He's got 23 bombs this year. Yeah, everyone always makes fun of Yankee Stadium, how it's easy to hit homers, but 23 is no joke. Uh, he's making $669,000 this year, and his hardest hit home run of the year was 118.3 miles an hour. It was actually the hardest hit baseball, according to StatCast, in the MLB. This guy just absolutely mashes. Hopefully he shows up for more than just a month. We'll throw a pirate slugger Josh Bell into our field. Switch hitter. It'll be interesting to see if he changes sides in every pitch, every swing for the home run. Or maybe he likes one side better. You never know. Next, we got Matt Chapman, who's got 19 homers. This guy's usually known for his defense, but he's really picked up the power stroke of late. He only makes 580K, even though he came seventh in the MVP voting last year. He's even more interested in winning the money and the million-dollar prize because God, Oakland's not going to be giving him a big contract anytime soon. Before we get to the next guy, Josh Bell making 587K. Just wanted to put that in there. Uh, Dan Vogelbach's the next one. Big, big lefty. 19 homers, 558K, I believe. Yep, lowest total on the list. Uh, he should probably take up two spots as he weighs in at 250 pounds at only six feet tall. Vogelbach is a big boy. Next up, we got another big guy, Reese Hoskins, who's got 18 bombs this year and only makes 575K, although he's probably been the Phillies' best hitter and he's making $30 million less than Bryce Harper. Let's talk about a good investment. Uh, when he came up, uh, he had 11 homers in his first 18 games, which is an MLB record. So that guy's got some serious pop. Lastly, we have Joey Gallo of the surprising second wild card Texas Rangers right now. 17 homers, making just over $600,000 per season. Uh, he's currently second in the MLB in average exit velocity. And he's finally learned how to hit the ball. Not as many strikeouts, going against the shift a little bit. Still a, more of a complete hitter, but he can still hit dangers if we need him to. So we thought this is pretty fun that the MLB should consider letting these guys double the value of their contract as the reason to compete in the home run derby. And I think the financial incentive is the most underrated part of this competition. This would be the most important game of Dan Vogelbach's season, considering he's playing in Seattle. That's a good point, Justin. They are totally irrelevant. So because today's a great day to talk about baseball, Justin and I also wanted to highlight which team in the playoffs we think is going to miss the playoffs and which team that's currently out of the playoffs is going to jump into the race. So let's tackle that first question, Justin. Who do you think is going to make the playoffs that's currently not in? I like Oakland. Uh, currently two and a half games back at the second wild card, four games over 500. 
the big stat that I really like with Oakland is that they're 27 and 23 against teams above 500. I think that plays. Uh, we all saw what Oakland did last year in the second half. They weren't near the playoffs, and they made on a run to get get into that game at Yankee Stadium. Uh, and they have some pitchers that should be coming back in the second half. Minaya has been out for almost a year now with that Tommy John. A.J. Puck, their young lefty, could be coming up, as well as Jesus Lazardo. And they got the two mats running the corner infield spots. So I like this Oakland team a lot. I actually really like Oakland as well. And if you didn't steal my idea, I probably would have picked them too. But that leaves me with the Snakes. I like the Arizona Diamondbacks to make the playoffs. They're 14 games out of first because the Dodgers just don't stop winning. But obviously I'm looking at a wild card here for them. The thing I like the most is although they're only one game over 500, they got a plus 50 run differential, which is correlate to winning like 10 more games than they actually have. So I think they're a good regression candidate in the second half to win more games. The other thing I really like about them, is they found some pop in their order. Cattell Marte, who was a pretty unknown player coming into this year. He, he had a stop in Seattle previously. He's shortstop, second baseman. He's been absolutely mashing this year and might actually be in the MVP discussion if he keeps it up. So I think that newfound power along with Peralta, Adam Jones, Eduardo Escobar is really complementing the aces of the, that staff with Granke and Robbie Ray. Yeah, would love to see Marte in the home run derby as well. We fear he's got tremendous pop from the right side. Impressive with the Diamondbacks, six games over on the road this season. So that bodes well. Uh, going into the next part, the team that's in – that I think will be out is the Tampa Bay Rays at 46 and 35 right now, a game ahead of Texas for that first wild card spot and just a game and a half above Cleveland to stay in the playoffs. Rays started out really hot, just 11 and 16 in their last 27. Austin Meadows on a big slump hitting, I believe under 150 in his last 15 games, two games under 500 against the teams above 500. Uh, the bullpen game strategy has held up for a while, well over a year now, and it looks like it might be starting to fade away a little bit for Tampa Bay as they're starting to give up a little more runs and their offense isn't catching up. I don't know if I agree with you here, Justin. I really like Tampa. I think they have three elite starting pitchers, and when they play a bullpen game in at least one or two other days during the week, I think that makes them pretty unhittable. Now, we're still calling Blake Snell elite with that ERA over five. I'm calling Blake Snow. We, he's a Cy Young Award winner from the last year, and he put together a great first month and a half. I think he'll be able to figure it out, no problem. Unless hitters just figured him out, in which case I won't look so great in September from this take. But I really think Blake Snow is a great pitcher. For me, I got to pick Milwaukee. I love the Brewers. They were my favorite team. They were my favorite non-Yankee team last year. And watching Christian Yelich play is a treat every time. But this pitching staff has major issues. Their top relievers, Tater and Jeffers, have really been way – have progressed big time this year, although Hater's still been very good. He hasn't been the one ERA guy he was last year. And their pitching staff, just a mess. Despite the breakout from Brandon Woodruff, their other three starters in Shasin, Davies, and Anderson have a lot to be desired. And they also have a negative six run differential despite being five games over 500. And although they have a chance to win the division with the Cubs in their division and the Cardinals, they're only one game up on the up with the second wild card spot. And I think they're definitely a team to be concerned about. Yeah. In the running for that second wild card, 
close to those Brewers and Phillies who are tied. Philly's been a, a mess lately. But Colorado just one game back playing in the friendly confine at Coors. They're actually the only team within reach that's at least 500 against teams with a winning record. So interesting stat there. Don't forget about my snakes, though. They're coming for it. Last time, we brought to you the first edition of The Juice is Loose. And so since that was so successful, here's the compliment to that. Barco Madness. Take it away, Barco. I'm really excited to do my first take of Barco Madness, but you're putting me in a tough position because nobody lost a 13 nothing soccer game this week. So it's going to be tough to follow up your performance, but I'll give it a shot. Let me tell you the biggest issue. Has anyone watched the NBA award show this year? Because Justin and I started a pod sports in particular, the NBA, and neither of us even watched the award show. That should tell us that there's a problem. The biggest issue is it's weeks after the season's over. The NBA award show is not like fine wine. It doesn't improve with age. I just want to watch the show. I want you to tell me who the MVP is the day after the regular season's over. Why should I have to wait till weeks after the playoffs to find out that John Horst should win executive of the year from the Bucks, even though Masai Ujiri put together a way better roster after than he did? I understand if you want to give out regular season-only awards, but give them out after the regular season is over. Also, why do they give out some of the best awards, like All-NBA team and All-NBA defensive team, separate from the awards show? They say they want NBA teams to deal with free agency after the draft but they give them all this information about the contract incentives that go along with being an all-NBA player before the draft. Why wouldn't you put it all together if you want to in one award show that's one day after the regular season is over? I propose NBA Labor Day, where all teams are not allowed to practice the day after the regular season is over. Everyone at the same location. You have one celebrity fan uh, uh, nominated from every single team that's just in the first row. So Drake can be the Raptors' representative. They have a real comedian that isn't Shaq that can actually complete full sentences to host the show and say jokes that aren't horrible. And then you have an NBA award show that we're all excited to watch. And it feels way more like the Heisman Trophy, where it's an event that people tune into rather than something you follow and you see three hours after it happens. Come on, NBA. I expect more. Now on to dog of the day. I'm writing that Oakland team I was talking about earlier. Mike Fires in L.A. against no Ramirez of the Angels. Oakland plus 125. You're saying that no is a no-go? It's a no-go. No-go on no. I'm going to have to take the Royals plus 120 against Toronto tonight. I don't love Danny Duffy, but I definitely hate Sean Reed Foley, who I think might be the worst pitcher in baseball. Every time he pitches, he gets absolutely rocked. Got to look out for those pitchers with the hyphenated last name. Doesn't usually work. Uh, game of the night, we're heading to Coors Field. Hunjin Ryu and his 1-2-7 ERA against Coors Field, where the Rockies play, but mostly Coors Field. I mean, if I was Ryu, I'd be concerned. Teammate Walker Bueller got shelled last night for 13 hits and seven runs, despite his ERA under three, so watch out. Right. That game will be on the uh, local L.A. and Colorado channels, whatever those are. And then also our, feel free to stream that on Reddit. We all do it illegally. Don't worry. And then to daily fantasy, my play of the night is Marcel Ozuna against Eric Lara of the Padres. Ozuna four for five in his career against Lara. Can't get much better than that. And I got to go back to my pick of the day for my DFS pick of the day. Uh, we're going with Whit Merrifield 
on the Royals. He's leading off tonight against Sean Reed Foley, who I reiterate is probably the worst pitcher in baseball. And in their one time that they match up together, Witt is three for three against him, and he continues to rake this year. So we really like him tonight. So I guess you can get better than four for five. Thank you all for listening. And please subscribe to And the Foul on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, get your podcast. And if you have any questions or thoughts on, especially the beginning, whether Harden is an elite player or not, feel free to email us at andthefoulpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and in the words of Harris, we don't want a food fight. We want to know how you get food on our table. See ya.